on this episode of Living Free with RP, we got Maxwell Ivy, or as you might all know him as, The Blind Blogger. Um, we had a great chat, it really just felt just like two just friends, you know, just talking, so I really, really hope you guys enjoy this one. Here is Maxwell's Journey. Well, first, I'd like to just welcome you in, to my podcast, and uh, thank you for taking the time out today. Well, I appreciate you uh, taking the time and the energy it takes to have a podcast and giving me the opportunity. Looking forward to it. Awesome. So tell our listeners all about who you are and where you're from and, and maybe a little bit about your family. All right. I have, uh, let's see, I'm... I have retinitis pigmentosa, or RP, was diagnosed when I was uh, four or five years old and started having gradual vision loss. My parents had me tested because I was falling down and running into more things than the rest of the kids in the family were. Uh, I had a gradual decrease in vision until I entered junior high school, and I, I had a big drop-off and to the point of being declared legally blind and starting work with a white cane and with, uh, with learning Braille. Uh, I also, during this same time period, I come from a family of carnival, op- carnival owners. So, uh, on the weekends and during the summers, I would help set up and take down rides. I would put, help them put up the games. Uh, you'd usually find me working the duck pond or bagging the popcorn and the cotton candy stand. And, uh, so at that time I still, you know, someday thought I would own my own carnival. And, uh, after college, I was able to spend about 15 years with my family traveling around Texas and the Southeast with an eight ride show uh, until my dad passed away in 2003. And then by 2007, I was out of the business except for helping people sell used amusement rides and games online at, at the Midway Marketplace. Um, I ran, I still run that business cause I enjoy helping those people. Cause a lot of them are just like I used to be. They, they need to sell the old stuff so they can buy newer stuff. And people saw that I was, you know, working on this website, um, including, you know, I had to learn how to hand code HTML and then just the stuff that goes along with being in business in general. And they said I should share more about being an entrepreneur who happens to be blind. And that led to the blindblogger.net, which is where I share my experiences, both uh, working for the Carnival people and as a writer and a podcaster. And it's also where people can find my podcast, What's Your Excuse? Uh, I would say if anything, you know, I've, I've gone from one thing to the next thing to the next thing, trying different things, finding out what I liked, what I was good at, and 
in many cases, finding out I was good at things that I never thought I wanted to, would would be doing. Uh, and as far as my family, nowadays I share a house with my 75-year-old mother, my younger brother, Patrick, who is a recovering from a heart attack a few years ago. He, he, he works at Walmart as a stalker. And my nephew, uh, Seth, and we, you know, we share the household duties and the expenses, and we're doing like a lot of other people, just just trying to find a way that works for us. Nice. And uh, how did you feel, like, do you remember how you felt when you got diagnosed? Well, when I first got diagnosed, I didn't really understand exactly what it meant. And uh, for the most part, the the family, at least the kids and the, you know, my, my, uh, my cousins, uh, didn't, didn't act like there was anything different. Um, we knew that there were some things that were different because they, you know, we had to, uh, we had to adjust some of the, you know, some of the backyard games we would play so that I could participate. And, you know, sometimes they would just play without me. It, uh, it just, just depended on their mood and, what game or toy we were talking about. Cause as I'm sure, you know, growing up, there are, there's, there's lots of toys that other people play with that you can't. So, uh, I remember in, uh, in elementary school about eight or nine years old and the teacher deciding to assign me to be the pitcher for the kickball games because neither side wanted me and that way they could be sure the game would be fair because the same person would be pitching for both sides, you know, things like that. Um, and as far as, you know, later in life, I think uh, I would have noticed it more and felt worse about it, except, you know, I've got a, I grew up in a family of, of people who never really spent a whole lot of time uh, thinking about what if or feeling sorry for themselves. They're, you know, I grew up in a family of people who did things and I also was raised by a dad who, uh, you know, while he sometimes would put limits on me, I didn't always know he was doing it. Sometimes he was sneaky about it, but he would always tell me I could do anything I wanted to do. So those sorts of, uh, that sort of an environment made it a lot easier than it would have been and probably a lot easier than most of the people in your audience have had it. Oh yeah, parents are... Uh great like that like i mean my mom having it definitely uh actually helped me and her telling just say hey you know live one day at a time and that's really all you can do and uh hopefully you know since you got technology on your side you'll be you know you're you're a lot better than me and you you know you'll you know you'll do okay yeah technology has really changed things as far as the opportunities we have and the the barriers that uh, that we have because we have fewer barriers. We have more tools to get around those barriers. And we also have another generation of people who have done some pretty amazing things and have reset the idea of what is possible and not possible for people with vision loss. Yeah, because before it was, you're going blind. There's nothing we can do about it. I'm sorry. This is how your world's going to be. And that's it. And now it's, you could pretty much do anything you, you could pretty much get things done. There's this guy who does this. There's this woman who did that. And you know, listen, you have all these, and you have easiest ways to really get in, to see and get in touch with these people because it's like the information's just 
all out there. And so before, like my mom struggled with just trying to find, you know, like a pen pal or somebody that she can relate to or talk to. And now it's, they're all, everyone's out there. The groups are out there. And now there's, there's stuff like, you know, you and I are doing and um, others are doing. So uh, definitely growing yes. more and more than it was back in the 80s and 90s and even in the early 2000s. Yeah, I mean, for example, and I live in a suburb of Houston called Conroe. And when I was growing up, I was part of a scout troop for visually impaired boys, uh, Troop 962. But we had to drive all the way to downtown Houston to go to a scout meeting. And that was the only troop in the area. It was one of the few places where you could go. And, you know, you've, you would be among other boys who all had similar similar problems, but we're all, you know, doing the same things and, and having fun doing it. And, you know, if you're talking about a support group for for visually impaired people or for their parents in the Houston area, you would have had to go to the University of Houston or the White House for the Blind. And this is a big sprawling city, even in the 80s, it was still quite spread out. So being able to to get on Zoom or Skype or go to a Facebook community and and connect with other people who are facing the same problems is is a huge difference between uh, between you know thirty years ago and now. Oh, definitely. I think uh, even when I first discovered the um, the Facebook groups, it was like I went from being like, okay, I know a couple people with RP because um, being part of uh, Achilles International, uh, my running group, and things like that, and. Um, and other groups I'm part of, but I didn't, I mean, once you go into these Facebook groups, you realize that it's like, there's just thousands of people that have your same condition. And, and then you realize that it varies so much than everyone, everyone's experience with it is completely different than, you know, than yours. And so that's another reason why I think I was inspired to do, you know, my podcast because, because of that, because there's just Everyone, just because we all have RP doesn't mean we're all dealing with it the same way. So, and sometimes it helps to hear somebody dealing with the same problem and you didn't have the answer, but they came up with the answer and, and now, or maybe you're struggling with something else. And now they came up with something that cures the thing that you were struggling with. And, um, so it's, I think it's a, it's a lot of fun and definitely changed everything. Like for me, even just like the whole, you know, gene thing, I wouldn't even think that, uh, a gene could change you know, the way your RP is and what kind of RP you have and, and all this. If you're referring to the RPE 65 gene test for the Luxterno Lux trial, a lot of people found out they didn't have RP when they were tested for that drug. They found out that they had symptoms that were classified with RP because for a while it was like, well, if you don't fit anywhere else and you do have most of the right symptoms, we're going to say you have RP. Um, and it's caused some people to have to change the way they think about themselves because they've found out they have a different eye disease, which I don't totally get that, but I understand it's it's a very a very emotional thing, our, our vision loss. The other thing that I think is really crazy is you can have two people, and this is something that sighted people, very few of them understand, you can have two people with the same vision condition and pretty much the same visual acuity but they will approach problems with totally different solutions. They will have different levels of uh, ability or desire to use the abilities they have. Uh, I recently had a lot of fun when I when attending a conference in Florida for podcasters because I was there for the first time. There were two of us at this conference, and the last couple of times I was the only blind podcaster there. Um, it was funny 
hearing about the reactions from the side of people because, you know, he's a much, uh, his name was David Goldstein. He was a much higher uh, ability as far as his cane use and his navigation of the surroundings. And he had spent more time, you know, uh, let's call exploring the, the conference venue and, you know, getting familiar, finding landmarks. And me, I'm more of a let's just go sighted guide and depend on whoever I meet along the way. But uh, it was funny because there were people there who treated him as if he wasn't uh, as if he wasn't blind because he had, you know, he navigated much more, uh, much more easily than I did. And I think it's it's interesting how. Uh, the sighted people still have trouble with the whole idea of vision loss and whether that means totally blind or not and how to treat us as individuals. Oh yeah. That's definitely, uh, that's something that's like, yeah, you're right. I mean, I've been at races and that, um, I've been wearing a shirt that literally said blind runner on it <laughs> and <laughs> just talking to a guy normal, like just talking, talking. And then like by halfway through that conversation, he kind of glances down my shirt real quick and he goes, Oh my God, I didn't even notice your set said that. And I'm like, yeah, he's like, and he looked and he's like, you don't seem, you don't seem blind though. And I'm like, Oh, I go, I'm not, I'm visually impaired. It's just with the shirt. This is what they give you. And he's like, Oh, so, so you still, you could still see a little. And so he was like one person that actually got the concept, you know, and, you know, like, yeah, I, yes, I could, you know, there's visually impaired and then there's blind. And I feel like those two terms are, not completely we're, we're saying completely different but they're definitely different i don't like calling my i wouldn't call myself a blind runner i just feel like that's not that's not right I, that's not i'm not part of that group and that would be unfair of me to be like to say that i'm a that, that i'm part of that group because it's a different struggle um you know so i feel like visually impaired you know people need to learn more of that term yeah like hey i you know i look different because i am different a little different <laughs> you know like i don't but but at the same time though it's it's I've been at Spartan races where I think it's funny because I saw we have um I'm part of a group called Team Believe Nine Two Three and um they help uh athletes guide them through these races. Um so I'm one of their first visually impaired athletes, but we have a couple um paraplegics and stuff like that in the group. And this one girl was we were helping the one girl we were they were we were carrying her. And I heard someone like as like they were running by, go, oh my god, that's so nice. They're helping that runner. They she must have got injured or something, or she must have like you know. So <laughs> I'm like, uh, yeah, that's so even somebody like her, like who it should be something where like obviously she's a paraplegic, uh, but even that is was sometimes go over people's head that you know they don't even think that, you know, unless you're holding something or in a wheelchair, unless you're in a wheelchair, or missing a leg. Or you know things that people can instantly see that they it just doesn't register to them you know that's possible like if I don't hold my cane I don't always use my cane when I go to the mailbox or you know when I go bring my son down to the bus stop because there's things I can do I I have enough vision to do that um, so someone might be like not even realize I have a problem until you know then I'll somewhere in a cane they're like whoa are you faking it it's like no <laughs> I just don't need to, I don't think I, I shouldn't have to what do I always have to bring my cane just to make sure you know everyone in the world knows that I'm I'm visually impaired or or I have an issue you know so it's yeah. it's just interesting uh, how the world like is it how the world sees things sometimes well you know I have weird thoughts and it just occurred to me that it sounds like what we need to do 
is we need to get some new vests and some new shirts made so that we can come up with a symbol for visually impaired but not totally blind. It's just not that people will, but then you have to wonder if people will actually read them or pay attention to them. But it's it's something to think about, you know. Is there, is you know, is we should have. I mean, there should be something uh, to remind people that, uh, as my as my friend David likes to say, white cane and sunglasses doesn't mean total. Oh yeah, no, right. I thought like I want to get a shirt. Maybe we should have a shirt. It looks kind of like the whole shirt. Maybe is is it's a white shirt. And then towards the center, it kind of slow, the image slowly comes back in. And it just says like, and then maybe above the image, it says like, this is how much I see. <laughs> like, or this I is, like that. Yeah. I like that. You could, get, you could have like about three or four different versions of that yeah, depending yeah. on somebody's visual acuity level. <laughs> I like it. I think that's something you need to do something with. Right? I mean, yep. This way it would be. And, you know, because, you know, you know, people, uh, for the most part, were visual creatures. And it might be the kind of thing that they would notice that where they wouldn't take the time to, you know, to talk to you and find out exactly how much vision you have or don't have. Uh, so it might be one of those things that would be worth be worth trying. I mean, you know, it might cost you might cost you 30 or 40 bucks to try it once and see what happens with it. And that's my world, actually. I'm a graphic designer. So, I mean, I still... I'm still uh -oh. able to do that stuff. So at least, uh, you know, while I can still do it, I like to do it. All right. Well, cool. Then afterwards, we'll have to talk because I've got some sayings that I'm known for that I've been trying to find, been trying to get some artwork to go along with them. And so anytime I meet somebody that does gra uh, graphic design, I always, you know, like to ask them what they, what they think about the ideas and, you know, what, what they, you know, how, how they work as far as, uh, you know, as far as uh, payment, uh, royalties, that sort of stuff. So we'll talk about that later. Sounds good. And and, uh, and now that I know that you are, I guess you'd say, a low vision graphic designer, uh, we'll also need to talk about uh, have, having you come on What's Your Excuse? The what? I said, we'll also have to talk about having you come on my podcast. So, I mean, because, oh, okay. you, know, you know, the idea of somebody who has vision loss but still doing work as, in graphic design, that, you know, that's pretty much my, that's pretty much the brand of my show, you know, is overcoming adversity and obstacles and, and thriving in spite of your, of your circumstances. So. Sounds good. I like it. Because uh, I still, I mean, I still have a friend that uh, over the years that I've done logos for him and he's still... You know, periodically, you know, we'll text me and say, hey, you know, I need something quick for a turnaround. And so the fact, it, and it kind of makes you feel good to know that somebody still, you know, views you that way, that you can still do that, you know, even though, I mean, he knows, you know, he's one of my best friends and he knows that I'm, you know, obviously I'm, you know, visually impaired and he, and he's very, always says he's always really impressed by what I do. <laughs> so it's kind of cool to have people like, have that kind of respect for you and, and, and to view you that way instead of being like, well, I'll have somebody else do this because they have better, you know, they have better eyesight or whatever. But, but to someone to be like, nope, my, you know, Mike does my logo. He's just always done my logos and he could still do it. I'm still going to, you know, that's, that's who I'm going to have do my projects and stuff like that. And to still put your stamp on, um, uh, your visual stamp anyway, out there in the world and, point at things and say, Hey, I made that and I made this. And yeah. that's, yeah. that's a lot of fun to me. Right. Well, one of the things I talk about whenever I have to, to work with somebody on it, coming up with a design is I, is I have to explain to them 
one, you know, that I have almost no vision now, so I can't respond to whatever it is they think the concept should be. And the other thing is I have to explain to them, you know, most of my visual references, you know, stop in the late, stop in the mid eighties, you know, um, I still can remember what the Coca-Cola and Pepsi logos are. And, you know, I can re remember what the, the telephone looked like in the Flintstones, but you know, if you want to ask me about, uh, you know, what the Mountain Dew logo looks like, I couldn't tell you, you know, if, uh, mm -hmm. so, uh, so I would think that, you know, based on your, what vision you have, that you have the, 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 the mental category, uh, cat, cat, excuse me, catalog of images that, you know, goes together to help you through that creative process that works against me when I'm trying to help people come up with an idea for artwork. And, uh, you know, I'm fixing to publish my fourth book and the, the, uh, I enjoy the writing. I enjoy the promoting. I enjoy the experiences that go into the books. I don't mind the editing, but I hate creating the cover. It's my absolute <laughs> favorite because it's like, it's like, man, why are y'all asking me? You know, I can't help you none. Um, so I end up, you know, they send me a variety of designs and we put them out on social media and then people who I trust will, you know, will go, okay, Max, this is, you know, we'll, we'll let the crowd narrow it down to the three or four best. And then I send that specifically to an email group of, of people I really, you know, trust to tell me the truth. And, you know, when it's through, I'm still like, how do I know this? this uh this cover art is going to be good enough to sell the book and you know with with amazon you got you know millions of other books that people are going to browse through at any one time so the cover art has to stand out mm -hmm. and i really have no way of knowing you know if my cover art is is going to sell the book and so in a lot of cases i have to work harder i think to get people's attention get people to the link for my book on Amazon and other places uh, than if I was talented at creating artwork or if I felt confident in the artwork that's going to end up on the cover of my book. That's a good point though. You know, yeah, that's true. Sometimes uh, it's uh, the visual images are, you know, need to be eye catching, especially when, yeah, when you're dealing with that, you know, like I said, how many books are there out, out there? You definitely want something that's going to grab someone's, uh, uh attention i mean heck i mean i'm a i'm a craft beer drinker and i've bought a many a beer just based purely because the artwork on the can is really long, really awesome. huh. so i mean that's a different world you know stuff like that i have you know friends actually that design you know that stuff and so sometimes so that yeah you're right though the the artwork on anything even just not even just books is uh needs to be something and they think about it people are browsing so fast so it really and needs to stand out. Right. And the, and the areas they're browsing through, the images are so small. So, oh, right. you know, you know that, that, that makes it harder, too. Is that, I mean, it's, if you knew everybody was going to see your image on the full, the full width of their 13 or 16 or whatever inch screens, that would make it a little easier. But, you know, you know they're going to be seeing galleries of thumbnails. It's, uh, it's really hard to... Uh, to, to know that your that your image is going to be compelling like you said right plus it's like that's the actually another reason why um my shirt says blind runner in big bold letters and not visually impaired because they say <laughs> it's it's big it's bolder it's quicker like people are gonna people will read that and associate 
get out of the way. He's a blind runner, like faster than if they have to read visually impaired, you know, yeah. you know, so yeah. it's, it's just, it's just quick and, you know, to the brain and the eye, you know, it needs to be something. That's why a lot, a lot of my design is very simple. I'm, uh, I used to, when I first got out of college, I remember I designed things a lot more flashier, but then I realized once I got into the printing world, um, and, you know, printing promotional stuff and all that stuff, I realized how awful it is to work with some of those kind of logos and how they don't work cross platform, like on pens and, and on bags. And so you really want something that when you design, it's gotta be something that's going to work on all these mediums. So when someone asks me like, Hey, what do you think of this logo? I always ask them like, what, you know, well, what are your plans for it? What do you want to use it on? Like, what do you, I mean, are you going to want to put it on a pen? Where are you going to want to put it on a stress ball? Are you going to want to put it on a t-shirt? Like, what are you using it for? Because if you're going to be planning on putting it on products, uh, you're going to want to make something very much more simple. And that's going to still get that message across. Um, but you don't want to put these big, complicated artworks and stuff like that. That's stuff you save for bags that you're going to print in four color process or, or um, websites and things like that. Like images like that are going to draw people on a computer. That's different. But if you're printing it, you got to have something that's going to be a lot more printer friendly and simple and to the point. Right. And forget and forgetting size um, for even even now, for a lot of things, when you have them printed, the, the more colors something is printed in, the more expensive it becomes. Oh, exactly. So, yeah, because that's why we used to do um, when I print in what they call four color process, even that's a little cheaper to do that. If you have like a big you know logo with gradients and and all these different stuff, they print it in, in four color process, because if you start if you want to say if you had like a. I don't know, say you had a logo that had six or seven colors in it, uh, and you wanted Pantone, you wanted to actually use each Pantone color. You wanted each color to be the exact color. Yeah, they're going to charge you per each one of those colors, where it would be yeah. cheaper just to mix it up and be put it in four color process and put it print it in CMYK and uh, call it a day. <laughs> well, the my my last book is called The Blind Bloggers New York City Adventures, and it's uh, about my travels to New York City. Uh, as one of the Amtrak riders in residence uh, in 2016, and I went there, uh, went there solo, and was you know pretty much pretty much on my own the entire time. But the, the book has about 60 photos in it that were taken by people I met along the way. I basically would hand this uh, cheap, simple DSLR camera to uh, waiters and cab drivers and. Uh, the skate guards at Rockefeller, basically whoever I could find, they took pictures and ended up with these great pictures. But when we went to submit the book to Amazon, uh, they asked us, did we want the pictures to be, you know, monochrome, black and white or color? And we asked them to tell us what the printing, what the printing cost or what the recommended sales range would be. And they said, well, if the book is in monochrome, uh, you could probably sell it for twenty to thirty dollars, but if it's going to be in full color, you're going to get have to. It's going to have to go for at least seventy five. And I'm like, I'm not that famous. You know, <laughs> people, even people who know me really well are not going to spend seventy five bucks or more because that was just the first. You know, that was like at least seventy five. So it could have been oh, more. And I'm like, wow. so I'm like, no, we'll do the we'll do the monochrome. What we decided to do was, and I needed to change it because. Uh, if you buy the book on Amazon right now, it'll prompt you that for three dollars you can buy the the ebook, which includes the color photos. But I'm going to change that to where, uh, you know, 
going forward, if they buy the print copy, we'll just give them the ebook for free so they can have, so they can have the the color photos. I'm, I'm, I've I've actually had people tell me that the black and white ones are more compelling than the color, but I I feel like it's a good solution to where they get both and uh, they don't have to they don't have to pay so much money and I don't have to to charge so much money to get it into people's hands. No, I agree. Black and white photos um, are definitely give more, uh, I think, emotion. So definitely, it's definitely uh, that doesn't. I don't. I don't think that would hurt you at all. And it hasn't. Um, the only thing that we've noticed about this book is that the book is more compelling if we can get the physical copy into somebody's hands as opposed to the ebook. Uh, the, the photos, the size of the book, that it, the, the stories that are included in it, it just seems to make a better statement, uh, in print than it does in the electronic version. And, you know, I haven't really figured out a way to get more copies into people's hands because as you know, anything that's hard copy is expensive. You know, it's, uh, the cost of just the printing and the shipping is something you would have to figure in as an entrepreneur to determine, you know, it's not something you can give away free like an ebook. Uh, you'd have you'd have to get something out of it, and it'd probably have to be somewhere in the neighborhood of ten or fifteen bucks a uh, a copy, regardless of of how generous you wanted to be, so that so that people could, you know, could be impressed by your book and ho- hopefully recommend it to more people. Yep, definitely. Uh, but now yeah, just, I would imagine though your your audience though would be more comfortable with the ebook though, right? I mean, well, it depends on which audience because if we're talking about the the visually impaired and people with disabilities, yeah, they generally prefer the ebook. Um, but as far as the the sighted people that follow me, the the ones who only have experienced the ebook, they're they would go, yeah, the ebook is fine. But those of the, those that have actually experienced the print book are like, uh, it really makes a statement. And I think the reason is, and I hate to I hate to go here because it just sounds it doesn't make me sound good. I think the reason here is they see that book coming from a blind author, and it just makes a bigger statement than when they're looking at it on their computer. Okay, I can, I can understand you know? it. So besides, it's funny, even oh, people, even even people that have known me a long time, they still, they, I think they're still easily impressed with some of the stuff I do. Oh yeah, definitely. So besides writing books, um, what other things do you love to do? Well, I love to sing. Uh, I love to. I'm finding out that I love to travel. That I am. Uh, I enjoy uh, public speaking. I. Uh, I've, you know, this year we're, we're kind of starved because none of the sports teams are playing and there's no, there's no, uh, in-person concerts going on. So it's, uh, it's unusual, but I generally follow the Houston teams plus the Philadelphia Eagles cause they're my brother's favorite and he's a very passionate fan. So when his Eagles win, he's much easier to be around. And when they lose, it's like, you know, you have to avoid him for the, the you know, you, if they lose on Sunday, you generally don't want to be around him on Monday. So, uh, <laughs> I haven't I haven't been camping or fishing since my dad passed away, but I used to enjoy doing that. Um, and I've I've 
I generally find uh, a lot of lots of things enjoyable at the time of doing them. If uh, if somebody says, "Okay, Max, we're going to go uh, and you know do whatever," I would probably say yes, unless it's something that you know just physically scares me. Um, some you know I've, I'm known for this tag of if Max can do it, then what's your excuse? So people ask me about stuff, and they're like. Um, and I'm like, okay, there's some things I ain't going to do. And that's like skydiving, mountain climbing, whitewater rafting, bungee, bungee jumping, have no, have no plans to swim with sharks or wrestle alligators, you know, just things on my list I don't plan on doing. But if, if it's not on that list of six or seven things that I won't do, then I can pretty much enjoy being anywhere and doing anything. So it's not an excuse because you, it's not because you don't can't do it. It's because you just do don't want to do it. <laughs> it's because I ain't gonna do it exactly. <laughs> if I do it, if you know, and I if if I do it, there better be cash money involved. You know, what I mean, not just social media uh, clout, but you know, somebody better writes a check. You know, um, I I've. There's a couple of things that that uh, that do bother me, but and I I want to do something about them, but just haven't had the opportunity yet. Um, you know, I don't generally like heights, and so I'm you know I'm, I'm hopeful for the opportunity to you know to get to go up in the arch or um, or the or the Empire State Building or you know or or maybe even the what's what is it the Pan Pacific Tower you know I'm, and I've never really been a fan of roller coasters. I don't like anything where I have to go upside down. So that's one of those things I want to do something about. It just haven't, haven't, ha hasn't happened yet. And, you know, if, if anybody from, you know, Warner brothers or Disney, et cetera, is listening, I'm open to being, I'm open to, to I'm open to y'all sponsoring me, you know, <laughs> they, they want to buy me some tickets, you know? See, I would think though, being, uh, you know, more, more, almost, um, I'm almost blind that actually heights and things like that would be a little easier to get over because you wouldn't kind of realize how high you are. You know, I think on the one hand, you're right because you can't really appreciate visually how high you are. But I think the other problem is, is it's all in the mind. If, <laughs> you know, if here's what I think would work, you know, if somebody could go, okay, Max, we're going up to the fifth floor. And, you know, put me in a really fast elevator. And then before I realized, oh, Max, we're not in the fifth floor. We're on the 105th floor. I think that might work. But you know, <laughs> the, the, problem is, the problem is getting around the mind knowing that, you know, that, yeah, I know I can't see how high up I am, but I know in my brain how high up I am, you know? Like, uh, hey, we're going to go on this flight. You just got to put on this parachute just because, just like, yeah. but don't worry. It's just a flight. We're not, we're not, we're not doing anything. We're going to go over here and then just, yeah. one, just get you up there. Oh, no, by the way, we lied. You're jumping out of this plane. <laughs> I had, to, you know, I, I almost did that on my last flight. Um, uh, flying to Orlando, the steward, the, excuse me, the flight attendant, asked me about the 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 safety procedures and she said have you ever has anybody ever shown you how to put on the flotation device in the event of a water landing i'm like no nobody's ever done that so she opened one of the the devices up took it out of the package and showed me how to put it on how to buckle it properly and then said you know don't don't pull that tab otherwise we'll have trouble and so i'm thinking 
Well, on the one hand, you know, I don't think there's going to be a problem. But on the other hand, now that I've actually gone through the safety procedure and know what to do, I don't know, man. Maybe there's a better chance we'll put this puppy in the ocean. I don't know, you know. Uh, but we took some pictures of it because I thought, you know, nobody's ever asked me that before. And I, I would imagine that uh, as visually impaired passengers, we don't always get the full impression of the safety procedures that, we'll, that we may have to use at some point. So I, I was really impressed with the lady for doing it. And, you know, I felt cool. And she's like, are you sure you want a picture of you wearing that thing? I'm like, yeah, it's like, you know, that's the kind of stuff I write about on my blog is just stuff that happens and what it means and what people can learn from it. So, uh, but yeah, I, I got to, you know, yeah, nice. put the parachute on. You're not going to need it. But then once they get you up there, uh, you know what the problem with that though is, is that those guys that jump out of planes, they always jump out of small planes. They don't never jump out of 727s. <laughs> they don't have to tell you. It's they, You just won't realize it's a 727. <laughs> it's a small plane. You'll be like, oh, well, no, no, no. It just, it sounds like a small plane. Like, no, no, yeah. I, I swear it's a big plane. Yeah. I'm a big dog. I know what it feels like to be in a small plane. <laughs> I've ridden in some of those planes where, you know, where they ask you what you weigh before you get on them. I've been in some of those puppies. Oh, boy. So uh, name things. Um, as you've gone through this, uh, your journey, um, what are kind of questions that you've had to deal with from um, sighted people that kind of bother you? Or maybe you laugh about uh, maybe. I don't know. How, yeah, how well, would you feel? You know, I mean, um, that from sighted people. I um one of the things that I've been surprised by over the years is the lack of issues with sighted people or people in general. I I sometimes wonder if maybe I'm so uncontroversial that, you know, I don't I don't tick people off because I've never had a troll, I've never had a uh, you know, somebody, uh, uh, and I think the, even in the carnival world, the, the, th the surprise has been that nobody has really given me any crap for wanting to do this. Um, I've had a couple people who are like, you know, your, your, your meat, your images are so poor. Your website looks so bad. You really should hire somebody to do that for you. Uh, but at the same time, since that website was actually selling amusement equipment as bad as it was, and I wasn't in a position to change it at that time, I'm like, I appreciate your feedback, but this is as good as it gets for now. And oh, by the way, do you need to buy a Ferris wheel? So <laughs> I would say the, the, the surprise for me has been that more people have not been critical of my websites, my work, my my podcast, my blog, the general attitude is, and I'm sure you've seen this a lot in your own life, the general attitude is he's doing so much better than we think he ought to do that we're just going to leave him alone. Okay. You know, that's, you know, and I've had, I've had people who've reached out to me that want my help with their website or want my help with their podcast. Uh, I've, and I tend to, the stuff I do tends to inspire sighted people more than it does blind people. I think that's because they realize that, I'm just doing the next thing in front of me. I'm just trying to find an answer to the question, whatever it may be at the time. And so even now, I don't think of myself as, as anything special, except, you know, there, uh, there are a lot of people that show up every day and do their best. There are a lot of people who uh, they basically have no interest in 
and going beyond what they are at this moment. Me, I don't know where my future is. I don't know. I'm not sure I'm that even now, I'm not sure that I'm, you know, totally where I'm where I'm meant to be before this is all over with. And I'm going to keep enjoying the process of finding out, you know, if there's things that, that I'm capable of that, I, you know, that don't appeal, don't uh, appear to me right now. Uh, but that's been my surprise is that I felt like sighted people would be more critical, especially the Midway Marketplace website, where a lot of that website is photos and videos and slideshows. But the overwhelming response has been, you're doing really good. Keep doing it. Eventually, you're going to be rich and famous. And uh, so that – and I, I've, I have to be thankful that I haven't had more people be more critical of me. Um, I, even when I've done public speaking, I've, I've, I thought my first few times with the microphone in my hand were a lot less uh, successful than the people in the audience, than the people in the audience did, hmm. you know, which of course is one of those things that more and more people are learning. And that is, is that we're always our worst critic. We're the least likely to find things in ourselves that are, uh, that are special. Usually it takes people outside us to, to see things like that, to, you know, to appreciate how good you're doing at something because we tend to be our worst own worst critic. Um, what has been your experience? Uh, I mean, as you started the podcast, I know you have more vision than I do, but what, if, what has been some of the things that you've had to deal with as far as uh, the sighted world? I'm just curious. Um, well, I said, I mean, I come, I'm in that gray area. So I come across as, you know, like, especially the way I operate everyday life, I still try to operate everyday life as a visual, like as a regular person, as a sighted person. So that my struggle is more like it's going to be having to adapt you know, slowly adapting to the other side of things, you know, like, like I said, you know, making your, you know, cursor on your computer bigger and adapting to, you know, changing other things. And, or if I go outside and maybe it's just not a good day for my vision and it's shifted and I'm, I appear more disoriented. Now I'm worrying that people might think I look like I'm drunk or something. Um, I, I miss a lot of, you know, I've missed a lot of handshakes. I've missed a lot of high fives or fist bumps. <laughs> and you had those embarrassing moments where you're like, you know, or luckily I have good friends that are always like, Hey Mike, uh, he's trying to give you a high five or Hey Mike, he's trying to give you a fist bump. And you're like, Oh, sorry. You know, not, not, not trying to be a jerk. Yeah. <laughs> I just didn't see yeah, it. That's, you know? that's been one of the cool things about the, about the pandemic is we don't have to worry so much about shaking hands or hugs or high fives. It's like, Oh, all those, although I have some friends who came to the house the other day that wanted to shake my hand and I have gotten so used to people not shaking hands that, the, that my brother had to tell me, Max, he wants you to shake his hand. <laughs> my friend says I'm like expert level, uh, pandemic. I go, I go, I've been quarantining. Like I'm like, I've been quarantining way before this even happened. I go, I just, I don't, I'm not, I don't really, you know, I've been social distancing probably before this even happened. I don't, you know, yeah. He's like, dude, you're yeah. like a pro. I'm like, I'm like, yeah, I'm like a pro. You guys are like, you know, you guys are beginners. I'm used to staying at home and not being able to go out yeah. and, you know. This. Yeah. You know, and that is, that is one of the cool things that, you know, it's, uh, we, we can all find positives and things if we want to. And the truth of the matter is the blind, uh, blind, visually impaired, uh, paraplegics, quadriplegics, a lot of people with disabilities, 
either don't go out or they have such a barrier to going out that they only do it for very important reasons or special special occasions. So you're right. For the most part, we've been social distancing before we before we knew what it was. I mean, because... what standard cane is what six? Most canes are almost six feet long. So I mean, <laughs> yep, yep. mine is mine is mine is right. Mine's five. Mine's fifty six inches. So it's four. Yeah. Was that four eight? So almost five yeah, feet. So. So, yeah. <laughs> and you know, when you say social distancing, we can't forget the fact that some people even now still put a little extra room between themselves and a blind person. So yeah. six feet. You know, um, and then, of course, I'm hearing I've, I've read a couple of news stories where blind people who have had to go out have had trouble social distancing because it's hard to determine the six feet uh, behind you and in front of you. And it's also sometimes hard to judge the kiosks, the lines, the whatever they're using to help sighted people stay far enough apart. Sometimes those things are not easy to follow along with if you can't see them. Oh no! Like all the tape, I thought about that when I was. I haven't really left. Haven't really been out in the world much. But I had to go out uh, with my mother-in-law to get propane and stuff like that. And it's when I first kind of went to the stop and shop, and I saw and I saw the you know the marks on the on the ground, and I saw the arrows. And we went to the package store, and I saw the arrows there and stuff like that. And I'm like, but you, you and you saying that makes me realize. Yeah, what, what about the people that are blind? They're not going to see those <laughs> marks. They're not going to no, know where no. they are. Yeah. And, and in some cases, they've been yelled at um, and even shamed into not into into leaving before they did their business because they weren't able to follow along with the with the marks on the ground or the uh, or the uh, 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 or the empty pallets or whatever the store was using to keep people the proper distance from each other. Oh yeah, oh. But getting so, back to what you were saying earlier too about being your worst critic, um, with my podcast, it's the same way. Like I, I'm just, I feel like I'm. I don't know if I'm getting anywhere with it. I don't know if I'm. Sometimes I'm like, uh, I don't know if if it sounds good or if I'm. Uh, I, I'm not seeing what I want to see out of it. But then you know, <laughs> everyone, I get people on the the show and and they're like, they're just so. You know, I, they'll be like, they'll just be like, oh, I'm so honored that you're doing this. This is great. Or if I see comments on Facebook. And so it's kind of nice, you know, because we're so harsh on ourselves. So sometimes it takes other people looking things on, on the outside to tell us like, no, no, you're doing a great job or you're, this is awesome or whatever. And, and you're like, oh, okay, maybe I'm, maybe I am doing good. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to help you out a little. Okay. First off with a podcast, um, your downloads and your views are never the most important judge of how well you're doing because the, the, the way they measure those things are highly unreliable and it only takes one listener to be affected by your podcast for it to have a big result. That one person could share it on their social media or it could basically just change the way they think about their lives. The one whether you're getting, you know, 50 downloads or 500 or a thousand. And uh, the other thing is, is some podcasters will exaggerate their numbers to make it seem like they're doing better than they are. I'm not saying they're lying, but you know, they may be just doing some aggressive rounding <laughs> and some people that some people there, they've, some people, they have those numbers because they've spent years building up the network before they started the podcast. So uh, that, that has a lot to do with it. The other thing is, is, People don't always leave comments or send you emails, no matter how good you're doing. And that's one of the things I try to, to tell my listeners. I try to mention it when I'm on, on other people's podcasts is that um, 
if you if you feel like you learned something or you were encouraged or your day was made just a little bit better by listening, please, you know, let the podcaster know because those kind words are more valuable than cash, especially in the early days. So hopefully that will help you. The other thing is, is my friend, Amy Bovard, who, who was on your podcast, she told me I needed to come to your podcast. And while I try to re resist this, I am, I am internationally known as the blind blogger. I'm the rock star. I'm the guy who's the who's head of the What's Your Excuse movement. And I'm here doing your podcast, and I'm honored to do your podcast. So maybe that'll make you feel a little bit better. And it's just like anything else. We have to do it a while before we, we start to see those results. And the other thing is, is just do it the way you feel like it needs to be done, and eventually you will grow the audience because you will be authentic to yourself. Well, thank you. Thank you for all that. That's a that's kind of helping my approach. I'm just doing this and keeping things the way I've been doing, and um, you know, taking notes for like if my um, my friend Drew, he'll tell me, you know, he's told me things I need to do or what I should work on and and things like that, and and I just kind of do those things. And uh, there's still things I wanna I have to clean up with the podcast to make it audio uh, to sound better audio, you know, with the audio match yeah. all the audio together yeah. and stuff. But um, uh, I feel like. Well, I the listens are up there. I'm, and that's what he told me. He said, he's like, don't worry about, you know, this or that. He's like, just look at how many, look at your listening and your listeners that how many, how many plays have you had? And I'm like, that's, I'm like, if I, and I've had like, I think I'm over 1500 right now or something like that. Yeah. Well, you're ahead of me then because I, I have a, I have a fairly loyal uh, audience. And since I relaunched the audio in July of last year, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm at about 1,700 so far. Nice. So you're well ahead of me on your journey. Um, and, you know, I I wish that my podcast were getting more listens too, but that's one of those things that's uh, it's not unique. Every one of us wants to have a, a bigger audience. And, you know, we want the people who come on our shows to have the opportunity to share themselves with more and more people. So we're doing our best to grow the audience. But I would say he's right, and I would say this. I recently uh, gave a talk on to people about overcoming their obstacles and launching their podcasts, and I followed a guy named Dave Jackson who has helped launch helped launch over a thousand podcasts, and he's you know he's very well known in that space. He spent all day telling them what it took to launch a good podcast. I followed him by saying that most of us. We only get good by being bad for a while. So enjoy the process and the experience of figuring out what works for you and what doesn't work for you. And so it's about the same thing my friend Drew said too. Was basically you just you you only learn by doing. You just you just got to do it. And he's like, you're as you do, and as you do it, you'll you'll start to begin to learn things that are okay. That's not good, or that didn't work, or or this is this was better, and and that's it. You know, yeah, yeah, just keep plucking away, and uh, and it's that I think in your mind though, because you're automatically like, well, there's how many people on these uh, you know, Facebook groups? Geez, I should automatically get even like a quarter of those people easily to subscribe to this because I mean, you know, how, there there's so many people out there, and and it doesn't happen instantly like that, and you're like, well. I don't get this. And, you know, why isn't this growing that way? Because there's so many people. So, and I know like I just recently uh, finally made a Facebook page. So I made it, you know, have the own, have the, you know, the, um, the podcast has its own, uh, you know, social media area. 
I think next right. I want to, I want, I do want to make an Instagram and just to have, just to, you know, just to have it out there and um, just build, maybe build a little more of the social media aspect of the site instead of just kind of sharing the, you know, the link and stuff to the group and being like, Hey, next, you know, the next episode's up. I kind of want to maybe make it a little more interactive, start getting a little more interaction. Well, you know what I do every so often just, and I don't do it all the time. I've, I've thought about doing it all the time, but when I've done it in the past, it's, it's been very encouraging is I take the video from one of my interviews and I upload it directly to Facebook. So they don't have to click a link and then click a button. All they have to do is click that button that says play. And sometimes the same interview that might get uh, 10 or 20 views on YouTube for the, cause I post always post the video over there cause you never know who might run across it there. Um, a lot of times you'll get two or 300 views on Facebook. And the only difference is, is I put it, I gave it to them in a way where they didn't have to do anything or much of anything to start listening to the podcast episode. So it would be really cool if you could do the same with your audio on Facebook, where you could just upload the audio and they wouldn't have to click a link and then click a button to listen. And I know that sounds, you are know, like, man, all they have to do is <laughs> click a link and a button. That, that shouldn't be too hard for people. But the truth is, is that there's so much stuff coming at people every day. There's, you know, so much stuff going across their feed on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, et cetera. If you can, if you can find a way to put it, to give it to them where all they have to do is press the button that's right there in front of them, you get more, you get more eyes and ears on your work. So it's, it's, it would be nice if Facebook had a way we could do the same with audio that we do with video. And I don't know, I think there's a way you can, uh, you can, re you can turn a MP3 into an MP4 with an image or something. Mm -hmm. I need to look in, I need to look into that, but, but yeah, it's, uh, sometimes, like I say, I will just upload my podcast video directly to Facebook and be surprised how many more views it will get over there. And, and, you know, use that as a way of, of driving people over to the podcast, uh, player to get them to subscribe to the audio. It's a good idea, actually. I do have a video editing program that I just recently started learning, uh, and that's pretty simple for me to use too. So I think what I could do is I could also take the audio and lay it, just put a picture of my podcast logo and have it play over that, and then there you go. Yeah. Right? And turn that yeah. into a, a video, and then that would work. That would be a, that'd be perfect. Because you're right, though. Because yeah. you know what? I don't. I'm guilty because I don't actually listen to other people's podcasts and things like that. Because I feel it's it's almost the same thing. I mean, I don't. It's like you have to do a couple of things, and you're like, if it was right there, where if I'm on YouTube or whatever, <laughs> I've listened to like video podcasts that because it was right there. You would just have an ear surgeon or something, and it's right there. It's that easy just to yeah you know, play it. Whereas if yeah. I got to listen to a podcast and I got to go through here to go to go even maybe it's two or three steps, uh, it definitely sometimes it deters you. You know, <laughs> but visually, yeah. if it's there and you're just you're right there, you can just. You know, quickly just right. do that, and you know, even if you don't listen to the whole thing, and you just kind of get a little bit out of it, and then you know, carry on. That might be enough just to, you know, get maybe somebody else right. to be like, "Hey, right. I'm gonna check that out. I'm gonna add that to my, you know, listen. I'm gonna add that to my podcast. I want to listen to." Or... Yeah, which is why when I uh, when I add my podcast to my website, to the you know, I usually do a blog post for each podcast. When I do that. Uh, I embed the audio player just because, you know, that way when they, 
you know, when they come to the post, the player is already queued up there. They don't have to click another button to head over to Apple mm-hmm. and they click a button on Apple to make it play. They can, uh, you know, if they're not subscribed to my, to my podcast, they can, uh, like I say, if they click the link to the, to the episode, the player is right there. They just have to, to press play. So there's one or two less steps depending on, you know, where they usually listen to things. And that's the kind of stuff you have to think about when you're running a podcast. It's like, uh, why, why are two clicks hard? But they are because people were just bombarded. There's so many, so many people crying out for their time and their, uh, their you know, to look and listen to their stuff. Um, so maybe Facebook I'll, if they're I'll, listening. I'll really, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Facebook, if you're listening, we want a way to upload our audio directly to our Facebook page. That's what we need. Well, you know, they have the watch party. Why can't they have a audio party? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Audio Facebook, yeah. get on it. <laughs> we know you're listening to us because you're always listening. So, <laughs> audio party. That's what we want. An audio party. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, we'll have to come up with a cooler name for it than audio party. Yeah, yeah, sound yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Sound party, sound wave pipe party, or uh, uh, sound wave party. Yeah, I don't but, know. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. <laughs> well, I've I've really enjoyed getting to talk with you. I'm uh, I'm 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 happy for you and your your podcast, and I look forward to uh, to hopefully seeing it uh, continue to grow and. Uh, and become a place where you can really encourage other people with RP as well as educate the sighted folk. Oh, thank you very much. uh, Before you go, answer one more question for me because it's always a good one. And I always like to see people's uh, takes on it. Um, If you could get your vision back, what would be one of the first things you would do? You know, I, I have to take this in two parts. One, I'm not exactly sure I want my vision back. I mean, I've been living this way for so long that I'd have to really think about uh, about how it would change who I am because I think it would definitely I'd definitely be different with vision. Uh, and of course, that would depend on whether I got it back immediately or whether it came back gradually. So that's that's part first first part. But the the second part, I think I'd like to go back to the uh, I could like to go back to Niagara Falls. I'd like to see the visual that goes along with the impression that the sound and the mist and the water made on me while I was, when I was there the last time. Um, and I think I'd like to, I think I would like to see uh, some of my, I'd like to see my family members. That would be nice to see, to see them for the first time, although they've aged and probably not as, as uh, handsome as they would have been 20, 30 years ago, but uh, that would be one thing, but you know, for me, I didn't really travel a whole lot outside of the carnival business when I was younger. I didn't really go a whole lot of places. So there's a, there's a whole world out there of things I haven't seen either with, with perfect vision or 20, you know, or legally blind vision or light perception. So I would say start I'd say the 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 first one would be looking out my front door and taking it from there. I like it. Simple. <laughs> Just a sometimes it's always like I always say it's always the simple things that uh a lot of people take for granted that and those are those things that we we appreciate, we look at and uh you know, we soak in more 
especially when, you know, while, you know, I'm sure why you had sight, I would imagine you probably were trying to soak in things more than you normally would because you know what's going on. Uh, I would say as I got into junior high and high school, yes, but not before, but earlier, earlier, mm. I really didn't think about it much. Oh, no, of course. If it's for, you know, you're younger, I'm sure that's different. But I mean, sure, I was thinking yeah. like, you know, when you get older and you kind of have that, you know, really, yeah. you know, you realize like, okay, I'm not always going to be able to see this blue wall or whatever. Yeah. And, and you might want to just stare at it because just because it's it, just to soak that in and kind of remember that. You know, it's funny you mentioned that because when I was a kid, we would do things, you know, this was this was before computers, much less before there. We'd do things like watch clouds, you know, I mean, uh, Sorry. so, so, uh, so, yeah, you, you, there were things, there were things I was saving up, even if I didn't realize I was saving them up. Yep. I like it. But yeah, well, actually, when one more before you go, because I have to know, sure. and that is. In your dreams, are you visually impaired or fully sighted? Depends on the dream. Some of my dreams are historical. Some of my dreams are are have nothing to do with reality at all. Some of them are are dreams of you know a year ago, and some of them are dreams where you know you're twenty, you know, you far back in the in the in the way back. So it just depends on the dream. Uh, uh, I would say that. Most of the time when I dream, I can see my surroundings in the dream. So I would say that I'm generally sighted in my dreams. Ah, that's awesome. Yeah. And one of my, and since you brought it, one of my favorite questions that I've ever been answered in a Q and asked in a Q&A was um, in Philadelphia at a school called Hope, Work, Hope Works for, uh, it's actually in Canada, New Jersey, for at-risk high school and, and early college age kids. One of them said, uh, well, since you only have light perception and you're pretty much blind, when you dream, do you dream in black and white or in color? And I had to think about that for a while. And I said, you know, occasionally I have a dream that's so vivid that not only do I feel like I'm there, I do see the colors of what's going on around me in those dreams. See, so, yep. That's a, that's something always I always uh, wondered about because, like I said, recently, I mean, I've mentioned in my podcast that I've had dreams finally where I realize I'm in a car and I, and I know I'm not supposed to be driving. <laughs> not so much that, not so much that um, my vision seems really off or anything, but it's like, you just have a feeling where like, I'm not, I'm, I'm not supposed to be doing this. Like, why am I doing this? You know, or, and I, I I've never had a dream where I was like, I don't think I, if I saw, I've had a couple, some dreams actually where I did kind of see what I see like now. And, and I, I was really more aware of that I was uh, visually impaired. Uh, but yes, mostly it's always sometimes when I'm in a car and I'm just like, I'm not supposed to be here. Like, but I'm doing this, <laughs> but I have to do it, but, but I'm not supposed to be here. It's just this uncomfortableness. Uh, I've never, I've never had that kind of feeling during a dream, but I can understand it. Um, <laughs> I, I sometimes wonder when it comes to dreams, if it has something to do with the fact that my optic nerves are still healthy and the part of the brain that processes images is still healthy as to why, you know, maybe I don't ever dream as a blind person or dream and have these cognitive issues where I'm like, I'm not supposed to be driving or I'm not supposed <laughs> to be flying a plane. I never, <laughs> I never have those. I mean, you know, I'm usually being chased by snakes or being eaten by ants or, you know, things like that. Or, 
And I'm just trying to get the heck out of those dreams. I'm not trying to figure them out. I'm just um, like, let's just live through this or get out of this. And um, like, have you, you never had a dream where you were holding a cane? Uh, no. That's why I find it interesting. Cause like, I think it's for me, I think the reason why I have sometimes have those dreams, it might be because I think I'm thinking of it subconsciously a lot, maybe, or, you know, and it's always on my mind. And then I think it plays out depending on the day right. in that world. Maybe I had a day where I was really just really thinking about, you know, having a bad vision day or something, or maybe it was just, you know, yeah. and I think then it just that stress kind of plays out in your mind. Yeah. One of my, one of my favorite dreams, because it was, it got such a great, it got such a funny reaction from my dad at the time. It, he just start he, he started laughing. He couldn't believe it. Um, we're riding from one town to the next town in the truck. And, and I think we had just had a bad week. So I was probably thinking to myself, we need to make some money. So we're driving along in the truck and I fall asleep. And, um, and he, he, he finally, you know, starts shaking me. He's going, Max, you need to wake up. I'm like, what, why do I need to wake up? He said, he said, he said, man, you look like you're having some sort of a seizure or something. He said, I was worried about you. He said, what were you dreaming about? I said, well, I was dreaming that I was sitting behind my duck pond in, in front of the game trailer and the midway was packed with people and they all had money and they was all trying to hand it to me. And even though I was asleep, I was like, Hey, if they're going to give me money, I'm going to reach out and get it. He said, so that's what you were doing. I said, yeah, I had both hands out. I was like, <laughs> uh, taking, I was taking that money and handing out them toys as fast as I could go in my dream. <laughs> awesome. He thought that he thought that was hilarious. That's great. But yeah, my hands my hands were reaching out so far in front of me they were they were brushing the glove box. Oh wow! Really, yeah, he was. I was and I was hunching forward against my seatbelt. It was. He said, "Yeah, so yeah, it's just one of those dreams. It, it's it's kind of become something that the family jokes about. But it was, it was. But I I do believe you can influence your dreams and the things the things we're thinking about, the things we're worried about. They do some sometimes bleed in. And then, you know, the other thing is, is if you're, if you're, if you're tired, if you're worn down, be careful what you play on the radio or the TV before you fall asleep. Cause those things tend to come into your dreams too, man. Oh, first. Yeah. Sneak in there. Right. Yeah. Oh yeah. Cause I have a show. I, I recently, I watched, uh, I watched this one show a lot, like fast and loud, this car show. And, uh, Last night, that was what my dream was about. I was like, I was, I was on fast and loud or something, and like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> something to do with that. Oh, then, oh, then, and I, you know, I was working at fast and loud, and um, <laughs> the cast from the show, the um, Stranger Things, they were there. Like the kids were all there from that show, and they were for oh, some yeah. reason like I, the they these they would get dropped off there or something. I don't know. I had something to do with that. I was like, oh my god. I was like, I've been watching. Somehow this stuff just sneaks right in there. Yeah, hey, that reminds me of something I'm curious about. Do you know of any blind people who are car collectors? I mean, I, I, I'm I'm not so much of a car collector, but I still work on cars. So yeah, I mean, I'm one of them. I do have, you know, I figure while I still can, uh, I, you know, I have a Mustang I go down and I work on, and it's something I want to pass my knowledge on to my son. So uh, I wouldn't say my, I'm a car collector, but yeah. I, but just because I can't drive doesn't mean I can't do that. But I don't know. I haven't heard of anybody who, like. Yeah, like is you know, blind what, or just so collects them, you know. Yeah, because you know there are blind people out there who are financially well off. We've got some rich blind folk. I mean, 
And I just wonder if there are any blind people who have, you know, like a garage full of classic cars or something. That's something I've never run across on the internet or, or talked to anybody who knows of anybody. So I think you could still appreciate cars, it. Oh yeah, definitely. You can definitely still appreciate them. The smell, just, you know, you can take the smell of the yeah. exhaust and um, the, your, the the you know, the sound of the engine and just that feeling of being in the seat. So yeah, I could I could probably yeah I could definitely see that. I could see it. I just haven't. I just I just don't know if there's anybody who does it. Yeah, it's yeah, just like, kind of the weird things that pop into my head. Oh, plus it's a matter of. I mean, are these people have they always been blind? So would they even know what the cars were like that they were buying? Or are these people that <laughs> went blind slowly and now they they have this general and somehow became into wealth later on and we're like i don't care if i can't drive i'm this is the car i wanted since i was a teenager you know i'm gonna buy the car yeah anyway. yeah like i have people drive my car and drive yeah. me around in it so that it gives me that like i worked on it so i still get that same um sensation you know because they're getting the joy out of what i did the work i put into the car and, yeah. and they'll tell me how good you know and ring sounds and how how the car's performing so i know what i need to work I tell on you what, i tell you what we need to get you some free publicity by reaching out to jay leno and <laughs> uh this car show you just mentioned yep. we start talking to people about a blind guy who's working on a classic car i don't know man i think we could get you on the show you can still touch it as long as you can feel things man the hardest part about i think working on a car is putting down a wrench uh yeah. leaving it for a second looking back to go find the wrench and realizing that it's still in the same spot it was <laughs> it's just to you it's just gone now yeah. So. Yeah, I've done that with my coffee cup. I know exactly what you're talking. And I'm like, I just set it down. It ain't had time to go nowhere. Where is it? It's, that's uh, like I just you find out exactly where you left it, but you missed it somehow. I got so lucky. Uh, was it last? Uh, I think it was no Saturday. Um, I mow. I was mowing my lawn. Like I still do that. It's a great. It's a hard task. Um, so <laughs> I I have this new lawnmower and I ran out of gas and I have a very hilly yard. And I decided it ran out of gas. So I thought it looked like it was going to be okay where it was. So I went off. I'm going to go get the gas can. I went, I came back. It was still there. And I put gas in it. <laughs> and then I close it up. I go back. I go put the gas can away. And I come back and I'm like, where's, you know, where's the lawnmower? And I'm like, wait a minute. Maybe my eyes are just, you know, I'm not looking in the right spot maybe. And I just, I'm missing it. But then a couple of seconds later, I'm like, nope, I think it ran. I think it rolled down the hill. So I look and there I look down the hill and there it is sitting in front of the curb on the street. It was perfectly fine. Somehow it turned around. I don't know how, but nothing <laughs> happened. I was very lucky. It was it was completely fine. But uh, so those those are the moments that sometimes happen. But uh, I mean I I mean I have a friend that with RP who lives like a mile, less than a mile from me and and he can still cut hedges and and he has worse vision than me. And uh, he still mows his lawn, and and we may not have the straightest lines in the on our lawns, but <laughs> the they'll be they'll be cut though. Well, that's the thing. It's all about it's it's all about did you get the lawn cut? You know, it's uh, as as I like to tell people, uh, life is not the Olympics. They are not going to award you style points, so stop trying to win them. <laughs> there you go. I like it. You know? Yep, no one's coming by looking going, congratulations, you have the nicest lawn in Nogatech. <laughs> we just like to present you with this trophy. So, yeah. No, yeah, the, thank you very the much. Lawnmower the lawnmower company is not going to drop by your house and give you a check because they really like how you <laughs> use their mower. Uh, we were so impressed with you that we decided to come out here and give you this. Yeah. Uh -huh.
I, I, I would think that people who do know my condition, the mere fact of me not being scared to do that, I think that is impressive. I mean, I, I impressed my mom. I impressed my wife when, when we first bought our house last year. I just did it. I mowed the lawn. She's like, you mowed the lawn? I'm like, yeah, I just, I just did it. She's like, wow. She's like, I am really impressed. I didn't think you'd want to do that. And I'm like, uh, it's not something I really was like, you know, totally like all into because it's, it's, it is tough to do. It's, you know, I know I'm going to miss spots and, and it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a little bit of, it takes me a lot longer than it would take somebody who had more vision. Um, uh, but I don't see any reason why I can't do it because I have still usable vision. Um, it's just trickier to work with. Yeah. So did she tick off any of your neighbors by telling them that she didn't have to, she didn't have to beg you to mow the lawn. You did it without being asked. Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, I have a neighbor, I have really cool neighbors that are just like, they probably would mow the lawn for me if I said, Hey, I'm struggling. I mean, my next door neighbor, Jean was, uh, mowing the same time I was mowing and I probably, you know, like I probably missed some spots on where the, the side of the yard his is on. And he just came over and he's, I looked over and he's like, he's like, Oh, I'm just cleaning up the side for you. I said, okay, thank you. You know, you know, so I'm sure it didn't come out perfect, but uh, I mean, that's the reason why I intentionally bought a 30 inch mower, 30 inch wide mower, because I figured, all right, well, if I do a 22 inch, it's going to take me a lot longer because I got to make sure I, you know, get every part. Now, if I do a 30 inch wide mower, now I've covered more area. So I have less likely to miss as much as I would normally. Well, you know, that's, uh, that's what, uh, Michael Schwartz told me about photography. He's, he's, uh, He's a, he used to be a photojournalist has traveled all over the world. He's got awards and he's been losing his vision. And I said, what is the, what is the one thing you would tell people about, about photography if they're losing their vision? He said, get as wide an angle lens as possible because you can always edit down in post-production, but you can't edit out. He said, so I just tell people to, 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 to use equipment that gives them the widest field of fire as possible, similar to you buying a 30 inch wide yeah, mower. Yeah, cover that. that. That was my, that was, well, I mean, that was one of my like reasonings for, to the wife so that I can get, you know, be, <laughs> it would be okay for me to spend the money on this mower, you know? So I was like, well, think about well, it. It's going to take me less time. And <laughs> da, da, da. as long as you, as long as you mow the lawn without, without being, having to be asked to mow the lawn, you'll be good. So. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. I grew up not being able to do it. My my my, yeah. my stepfather actually was a workaholic. So this I mean realistically here I am almost at 40 years old and this is really all new to me. Uh, you know, using a lawnmower, all that stuff it's all new to me because I only we I used to work for a landscaping company, weed whacking. So I I'm I'm good at that. But uh <laughs> I never got to really do the lawn mowing portion so cuz my step like I said he was a workaholic and he just came he would come home from work and he'd mow the lawn and and I always said to my mom, I said, you know, if, if, you know, I'm like, if Andy wants me to mow the lawn, you know, like, I'm, I won't say no. I'm like, I'm not going to not do it. Like, I'll do it. And she's like, oh, no, he likes to do it. And I said, okay. So that's why I always tell people, I'm like, it's not that I'm, I don't want to do it. Or, you know, it's that I just, it wasn't normal for me. I wasn't one of those kids that had chores and things like that because my dad was such a workaholic. Yeah. <laughs> uh. The things that uh, the things that 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 happen in our lives, you know, is a lot of it really does does just come down to the to the situation, the timing, and the people that you're around when it happens. I mean, yep. uh, other other families they may have just let a yard go or paid somebody rather than rather than uh, letting you do the mowing. You know, um, 
your dad was a workaholic. So with him, it was like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do the mowing. And, uh, I, I would have liked to, you know, it sounds like the kind of person I would have liked to have seen anybody try to do the mowing for him. Oh no. Yeah. You know? no, nope, I got it. Like he just, it, it would, it probably would stress him out if you were like, no, no, I'm going to do that for you. Like, like yeah. no. I mean, yeah. honestly, the funny thing is yeah. I was still searching for a mower because last year I had a mower that didn't self-propel and I learned that that sucked, uh, especially <laughs> from my yard. I have really steep hills. So my front yard's really steep. Yes. So I'm like, you know what? I need yeah. I need a bad, you know, I need an awesome, you know, lawnmower. It's a beast that suits my personality that I can, you know, that this works for me. And uh, while I was still searching, yeah. of course, the lawn is growing. So my friend uh, is actually in Naugatuck and he's mowing lawns for like 20 bucks. So I said, hey, you know what? My lawn's starting to get out of the land. You want to come over here? I'll pay you. You know, and I, I offered him more money because I was like, it's a little <laughs> overgrown. So if you want to give me like, you know, I'll pay you more. I'll give you 40 bucks, man. Like whatever. And he still, no, he wouldn't take it. So I, uh, but I gave him like 25. I told him, hey, take 25 at least. But yeah, so I mean, I do have the options. There are people, I have friends in my city. I could, I could easily just be like, I don't want to do this. Um, You guys do it for me. And I, so the option is there, but I don't want that because I've spent so long not having a house. It's my first time having a house. And I feel like this is one of those, the joys of having a house is doing yard work and, uh, you know, working on your property and, and, and all that stuff. And I want to enjoy that. I don't want somebody else taking that from me unless I really feel it, you know, uncomfortable or not that it's not going to come out to my standards that I need somebody else to do it so it'll look nicer and everyone, people will be like, oh, wow, that's really nice. But I feel more proud knowing that even if the yard isn't perfect, I feel more proud knowing that I did it. Yeah, I could totally understand that. But I definitely want to thank you for, you know, all your words of uh, encouragement and your and uh, your strategies and, and uh, other ways of for me to think about when uh, handling my podcast. So that's definitely going to help me a lot. And um, I hope yours grows and gets bigger. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm, you know, I've, I've had some, I've had some, uh, some good opportunities lately with, uh, with my videos now being on Roku. Uh, you know, I've, I've, I've got good friends who, uh, who will share the who will share the podcast episodes? Uh, we recently claimed the invocation, so now people can uh, can listen to my podcast on uh, Google and the other lady with that. Or she, yeah, Google and Alexa. Now, now I can say her name because I changed her name. <laughs> <laughs> um, you can't. I can't tell you how many podcasts that girl has interrupted because she thought I was talking to her. Um, <laughs> so, but. So, you know, now people can say, hey, uh, hey, Alexa, play What's Your Excuse, and they'll get my podcast. So that's that's going to help. And those 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 listens don't count, you know, the same way as the ones directly from Apple and Stitcher. So I've got to start follow, I've got to start checking into my my lessons and my on uh, on those wireless speakers. And then I've also got to figure out what to see what my stats are on Roku. But that's, you know, part of the thing with the podcast is you start by, you know, finding the courage to record the episode. And then you go from there to actually posting the episodes and letting people hear them. And then you start finding more places for people to be able to hear or know that you have new episodes out so you can grow that audience. And doing podcast interviews is one of the ways I grow my audience because I use it to drive, tell people to go to the blindblogger.net or, you know, tell them to, to play my podcast on Google and Alexa. And that's, 
seems to be a great place to you know to make uh, to promote my show, but also to make connections with the hosts that can eventually lead to other opportunities. And uh, looking forward to you know to checking out your podcast more. And uh, hopefully together we'll help each other grow our podcast and see what other way what other opportunities come to us as we as we move forward. And <clears throat> who knows, maybe. The next time I attend a conference for podcasters, there'll be three or four of us there. Right. There you go. And and hopefully I, um, I will be on your podcast soon. And uh, Oh, yeah. So, we, will, yeah. we will definitely make that happen. I'm, I've, I've already heard several things today that I'm like, yeah, I need to get him to talk about those again. That'll be fun. I like it. So, uh, but yeah, before you go, if you want to share anything else about like where people can, uh, I know, find your podcast or what's the name of your most current book or what do you got going on? Yeah. So what I got going on, they can find me at theblindblogger.net and the, the thing that I'm focused on, well, there's several things. I have a new book coming out in June. It'll be called the blind bloggers continuing adventures. Uh, his first, uh, signing and speaking trip or something along those lines. It doesn't have an, it doesn't have its final name yet. We'll get it there. Uh, but the main thing I do is I help people uh, share their stories on podcasts and radio shows so they can grow their, their brand and grow their businesses or their passions. And I'm doing that in two ways. One, I have a program called eight weeks where I uh, walk them through and teach them how to be great podcast guests from understanding what their story is to telling it more effectively to practice question and answer sessions and appearance on my podcast and then uh, connecting them with some podcast hosts I know so they can get good practice. Uh, and then the other thing I do is I is people that are already doing interviews to promote themselves. I do the, the grunt work of finding the opportunities and doing the outreach so all they have to do is show up and have great conversations to promote themselves. So podcasting as a host and a guest is really most of what I do. Awesome. Well, I hope together we'll be growing and um, and other good things will happen and we'll continue to share our our journey and adventure in this world. Yeah. Thank you. Look and, forward to it. And I hope you have a great day and enjoy and you have a good day too and really enjoy the the whatever the I don't know you know I don't even know where you live but I mean uh enjoy the enjoy the day that it is this uh gift that we have I certainly will and you uh take care All right thank you You're welcome bye-bye All right bye I hope you enjoyed this week's episode See you next week for another episode of Living Free with RP. Get up off the walk. I've never met a challenge I wouldn't face.